Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Tim Reynolds. Thank you for tuning in today to the Bible Truth Podcast or Bible Truth for Living radio program. We certainly are appreciative that you take the time to listen. We've been bringing a series during the month of January titled Cadence, Keeping Rhythm in Different Areas of Our Lives. Today, we're going to conclude the series uh, as we actually uh, kind of piggyback on to last week's teaching, and that is Keeping Rhythm at Church. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 25. Let me remind you that we looked last week uh, at keeping rhythm in church, the the forming of the body of Christ. How do we get placed into that body? And we talked about the corporate church and the community church, the corporate church being all saved people who have trusted Christ as uh, his or her personal Savior are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, the corporate church. And then the community church is your local church where we use the spiritual gifts that God has given us so that we can uh, fulfill his purpose uh, while we're here on earth. Today, we're going to look at keeping fellowship in the church. And Paul, after he writes about the spiritual gifts, says in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. So if one person is having maybe health troubles or financial troubles, family troubles, that affects everyone that's part of that local body. And if one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Someone gets recognized, that should not make us jealous. We should encourage them and uh, be uh, joyful along with them. And so with that in mind, we're going to look today at Keeping Rhythm at Church. A research company uh, recently completed a study on employee effectiveness throughout the work day. You may have seen this recently in the news. This research revealed that peak production occurs at 10.22 a.m. and then dips and slumps the remainder of the day. I don't know how they came up with that exact time, but that's what the study revealed. We do know that human beings have what is called a circadian rhythm. That comes from the Latin term circa diem, meaning around a day. What is your circadian rhythm? Well, it is that rhythm of physical, mental, emotional, and behavioral changes in a 24-hour cycle. And along with this cycle, our bodies uh, are affected, our minds, emotions, they're affected by different things, whether it is light and dark, sleep patterns, diet, and so on. For example, let's say that you have always worked day shift and you get moved to the to the night shift. That affects your circadian rhythm. It's hard to get into a good sleep pattern and work pattern because that's not what your body is used to. And that occurs in different areas. Maybe you're taking care of a loved one and you're up throughout the night. And uh, so if you don't get the, the proper rest, it affects your circadian rhythm. This is true even in the animal kingdom. You have what is called diurnal or daytime animals and nocturnal nighttime 
uh, animals and their patterns of behavior. This circadian rhythm is why we function and we think better at certain times than others. If you understand your circadian rhythm, uh, you'll know the best times that work for you as far as studying and and making decisions and those sorts of things. Some people are more geared toward uh, morning and some more toward later in the day or even in the evening. So that's all part of your circadian rhythm. And the reason I'm telling you that is that everything in creation has a rhythm. You have the six days of creation, and there's a pattern or a rhythm, a cadence to those six days. We've talked about that throughout this month of January. We've looked at uh, getting in rhythm with God, and that's where everything begins. And then uh, your uh, rhythm with your family, whether you're a husband, wife, uh, father, mother, child, there's a rhythm, there's a cadence to functioning uh, as a family. There's a rhythm with your job as employees and employers, how we are to function. And then uh, the church has a rhythm as well. And we talked about keeping that rhythm as far as using our spiritual gifts, not for self-glory, but to glorify God. Now, let's also realize this when it comes to the church. Uh, this is something that may surprise you, and it's familiar with me because I grew up a PK, a preacher's kid, and also a pastor now. Every church has a rhythm. Even the life of a church has a rhythm. The rhythm. There are ebbs and flows. You have periods of growth, periods of loss. You have periods when the attendance is up, the attendance is down. Offerings are up, offerings are down. Even the working of the Holy Spirit sometimes will be very powerful in certain times, and then other times, not so much. And a pastor has to understand this or he'll get easily discouraged when things are down and then distracted when things are up. You, you have to try and ma- maintain consistency. Now, that consistency also involves unity and fellowship. That is something that should not waver. Our unity and fellowship as a church, and we're, we're talking here mainly about the local church, that should not differ with the highs and the lows. That should remain a constant. That's why Paul says there should be no schism in the body. That word schism means division or split, out of rhythm. You know, it's always sad when you hear of a church split. Uh, There's no uh, winners in a church split. In fact, it's a poor testimony because unbelievers are quick to say, well, look, those Christians can't even get along. They disagree with one another. Uh, and but it happens, you know, people get out of rhythm and, uh, you know, you can have division and problems. Now, what we're going to look at today are the things that produce division in a church and then how to prevent division in a church. Let's look, first of all, at the producers of division. Now, when we talk about division or a church split, those things very rarely happen overnight. More often, it's a culmination of one or more things that have occurred that lead to that situation. And I think the five things I'm going to give you today play a big part in that. I'm calling these the five P's or producers of division. Number one is pride. Pride will create division, and that goes for a church, it goes for a marriage, it goes for work. Anytime you have pride, it creates confusion and division. Listen, please, to James chapter 3 and verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, it's not from heaven, but it is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Well, that tells us that it's earthly and it's from hell. It's not from heaven. 
7, for where envying, and that is pride, and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Pride says it's all about me. I want my way. And so pride creates division. The next thing is partiality, the second P, partiality. James continues in verse 17 and says, but the wisdom that is from above, this is, this is what comes from heaven. It is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. What is partiality? Partiality is showing favoritism toward one person or group of people over another. You can remember back in school, you had what was called cliques. You know, you had your little group of friends you would, you would maybe eat with or, uh, would do things with. And, and so that happens sometimes in, in junior high and high school. It should not happen at church, but sometimes it does. And so people end up pitting against one another and become little cliques within a church setting. That's partiality, and it creates division. Number three is power. Chapter four of James verse one says, from whence or where come wars and fightings among you? This is speaking to Christians. Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members? What is war about? War is all about power, gaining power. It is a desire for control and manipulation. Within a church setting, you can have little power struggles, whether it's with the pastor and and deacon board or someone in the church that gives money. And so they end up using that as a tool of manipulation. You know, I, I give money and so I want my way. That's a power struggle that creates division in a church. Number four is pettiness. Pettiness is spiritual immaturity. It is having a chip on your shoulder, being easily offended. You know, so anytime there's a change or maybe a, a color of the carpet or maybe a song you don't like, instead of just, you know, understanding, you know, maybe that's part of uh, change or something like that, or maybe the pastor didn't get around to shaking your hand, you become easily offended, and that is pettiness. Now, I'll tell you this, if you go to church looking to be offended, you'll be offended. If you're looking for that in your marriage, you'll you'll be offended. All right. It, it all comes down to really what you're expecting, what you're looking for. I like Psalm 119 and verse 16. Here's what it says. Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Just go to church and say, you know what? I'm not going to be offended. If, if I don't get my hand shook or if I don't like this music or if I don't like the what the preacher's wearing or what he says today, I'm going to go and I'm going to get out of it what the Lord has for me and I'm not going to be offended. But pettiness oftentimes will create division. And then number five uh, is simply problem makers. There are problem makers that Satan places within the church just to stir up trouble. Some people just have that nature. Uh, they just aren't satisfied unless they're causing some sort of of commotion and, uh, and disturbance. Uh, but God doesn't like it. In fact, it's one thing that God not only hates, but says is an abomination to him. You say, God hates? Well, I'll let the Bible speak for itself. Listen to Proverbs 6 and verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate. There it is. Yea, seven, this seventh one, are an abomination unto him. The word abomination means a stink in the nostrils of God. He, he despises this seventh one. Well, here's the first six. 
A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to running in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies. God hates those six things. Here's number seven that is even more than hatred to God. It's something he just, he despises. He loathes this. He that soweth discord among brethren. Someone that gets into a a, a body of believers and sows discord. What is discord? Discord is disharmony. It's like hitting a wrong chord on the piano. You know, you play a, a, a chord, uh, but uh, you, you hit a wrong note. We call it a sour note. That's what discord is. And Satan will send them into a church to create problems, and there'll be a, a talebearer or a complainer or a malcontent, and God despises that. Now, what do you do with that? How do you handle that? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 16 how to deal with it. Listen to this. Ro- excuse me. <clears throat> Romans chapter 16 and verse 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses. So the first thing to do is mark them. Now that doesn't mean take out a big uh, black magic marker and put a big X on their body. No, that's not how you mark them. You pay attention, though. You recognize them. You know, hey, you know what? That person right there has potential to create problems. And there are different ways you can sense that. And I believe that the Holy Spirit gives us that discernment as well. Mark them, uh, which uh, cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we have learned. Number two, avoid them. He says, mark them and then avoid them. Stay away from them. If someone comes to you in your church and they're complaining about the preacher or the music or the color of the carpet, or they just have a little remark to make, stay away from them. If they text it to you, don't answer. They call you, I just let the machine get it. All right, let voicemail take it. But if you do not answer or reply or give that any sort of uh, energy, it will fade out. What happens, though, is that we like to hear gossip. We like to hear things. And so pretty soon we're feeding into that and something becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And Paul says, avoid them. Here's how they work. Listen to verse 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. They're, they're self-satisfied with stirring up trouble. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. What they have to say, they, they, they're really smooth acting, very smooth talking, and they will draw you in. And all the while, while they're drawing you in, they're stirring up trouble. And so the Bible's advice here is to mark them, recognize them, and then avoid them and stay away from them. Now, those are producers of division. Let's look now at preventers of division. How do we prevent division? You know, I would rather... In fact, I told both of our churches this. Uh, this is not a message dealing with a problem. It's preventing a problem. I would rather deal deal with it before it happens than to have it happen and then have to deal with it. You've heard the old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So how can the pastor and the people help prevent division and disharmony in the church? Well, I think there are nine ways, and I'm going to give these to you quickly. I call these the nine one another's because they each include that phrase, one another. We're going to go back to our text in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 25. The first one another is to care for one another. 
Here's what it says, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Care is concern. If we are concerned for one another, then we're not going to have disharmony. We're we're not going to get out of rhythm because we're concerned for the well-being. You know, maybe someone, again, is dealing with a financial problem or family issue, marital issue, physical health. All sorts of things can happen, and we need to have care and concern for one another. Number two. Two, Jesus tells us to love one another. John chapter 13, he gives this instructions to all of his followers. He says in verse 34 of John 13, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men, believers and unbelievers, this is how they're going to know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. That love is not an emotion. It's a decision. It's saying, I choose to love. I may not feel like it. You may not even be lovable, but I'm going to love you anyway. That's agape love. It's the kind of love that God has. And we are called to love one another. Number three, receive one another. Romans chapter 15 and verse uh, 17 You can give me just a moment to find it here. I'm working without my glasses today, so uh, it's taken me a moment to to see scriptures. It's verse 7. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. What does that mean, receive one another? It means to take people where they are. You know, within a church, you have people not only of different ages, but you have people in different places in their walk with the Lord. Some are mature Christians. Some are young Christians. Uh, and so we must receive one another. Think about the infant church. You know, I don't, you look back, and if it were not for the Holy Spirit, the, the Christianity would never have gotten off the ground. Because in the infant church, as people are being saved, you're bringing in raw pagan Gentiles, you're bringing in religious Jews, rich people, poor people, ignorant people, educated people, fornicators, drunkards. Paul, uh, in fact, writes, such were some of you, and you bring them all together and look for unity. That unity doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit, but we're to receive one another. Do you look down on people who don't meet your standards? Do you look down on someone that comes in and maybe they're covered in tattoos, or maybe they don't smell just right, or maybe they sit down in your place of the pew? Boy, that's really treading on thin ice right there, isn't it? We we have our place in the pew that we like, and someone sits in that. Listen, receive one another. I'm glad to see you. Welcome. Come on in. That's how the attitude of the church should be. Number four, greet one another. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 20, the Bible says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, that doesn't mean you give a smooch on the cheek. They did that in that culture, and they still do. What it means, though, is we need to be friendly. When we come to church, don't just, you know, plop down into a pew and just sit there till Jesus comes. Go around and talk to people. Shake hands and say, hey, good to see you. How was your week? How are you doing? I personally believe that is everyone's responsibility. The pastor on down should be out greeting people, welcoming people. The church ought to be the friendliest place that people come to. And then number five, forbear one another. The word forbear means to put up with. You know, sometimes we have to put up with one another because we get on people's nerves and we all have different personalities, but we should forbear one another. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. 
you know, think about this. You may as well learn to get along with people now because if they're saved and you're saved, you're going to spend eternity with them. So you may as well learn to forbear now and to be able to get along. Not only should we forbear one another, number six, be kind to one another. Ephesians 4 and verse 32 tells us that very plainly. Uh, The Bible says in verse 32, and be ye kind one to another. Be kind. Find something to compliment. You know, it may be difficult, but do it anyway. Find some way to be kind to other people. Number seven, forgive one another. Verse 32 continues, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Which tells us that, you know, if we think we can't forgive someone, just remember what God has forgiven you of. I mean, we've offended God to the point that we deserve to go to hell, but he has chosen to forgive us because of our, because of our faith in him. If God can forgive us, surely we can forgive other people. Forgive one another. Number eight, submit to one another. Ephesians 5 and verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That means give other people their way. Now, not on everything. It's certainly not on things when it comes to uh, scripture. But, you know, if somebody likes a a different color of uh, paper towel or a carpet or something like that, why make a big deal out of that? Why create division and disharmony over something that's just not that big of a deal if you can give in? Submit yourselves one to another. And then number nine, pray for one another. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, confess your faults one to another. And the word faults there does not mean sins. If, if, if you were to go around confessing sins to one another in the church, boy, you talk about uh, uh, fodder for gossip, you would sure have it. It's recognizing that we all have our shortcomings, you know, and admit that is what that verse is saying. And then it says this, and pray one for another. You know, it's very hard to be angry with someone that you're praying for. You know, Lord, bless this person and give them give them good health and bless them financially and watch over their family and to turn around and be angry. That's that's hard to do. And so if we pray for one another, uh, it will help us also to to get along. Now, I want to finish the message with a little illustration. And uh, I'm going to use the animal kingdom to do this. I'm going to tell you about two animals. And the first one uh, is uh, is or are. I'm not sure what the proper grammar is, but geese, all right? Uh, the, the geese that fly. And you've seen geese fly. They fly in a V formation. And maybe you've wondered, why do they do that? Well, there's a purpose behind it. You see, here's what geese do. The lead goose in that V formation is flapping, uh, flap, flapping his wings, all right? And then the next ones behind are beginning to flap as well. But as you go down the line, they're not flapping as much. They're soaring. And they're being lifted up by the geese that are in front of them. They are the wind beneath their wings, so to speak. And so those in front are flapping so the ones behind can soar. And then when one in front gets tired, he'll drop out and go to the back of the line and he'll soar for a while and the next will go up and do more of the flapping. And it it continues like that. And so geese can cover hundreds of miles by helping one another. 
and some are flapping. Some are doing real good. Some are tired. They're, they're soaring. And you know, that's like that in life. You think of your own church, you know, within the church, you have some uh, who things are going really well. I mean, the marriage is strong. Kids are behaving. They're, they're making good money. Their walk with the Lord is strong. And man, they're just flapping and stuff. And then others are, maybe they're struggling. The marriage is struggling. The finances are struggling. The the kids are acting up. My health is not so good. I don't have much flap in me right now. I'm just going to have to soar on the wings of others who are doing the flapping. And that's how geese work. Something else interesting that geese do, if one gets tired or injured and has to fall out of the line, two to three other geese will go down to the ground with that goose to be there with him and support him until he's able to fly again. That's a Bible principle as well. The Bible tells us that in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, if a brother is overtaken in a fault, restore such a one, lest the same thing happen to you. We're in the restoration business. That's not, that's not a time to, to uh, put people down and to gossip about them. Maybe if they've, they've gotten into sin and boy, things are not going well in their life. We're not to condemn because it can happen to any of us. We're all sinners saved by grace. We need to be willing to restore that person. And that's what the geese do. But then there's another animal I want to tell you about, and that's the crab. And he's, here's the thing about crabs. A crab fisherman can place crabs in a five gallon bucket and never put a lid on it. They have the physical capability to climb out of that bucket, but they can't do it. And you know why? Because every time one climbs up the bucket and gets ready to get out, the one beneath it will pull it down. And so uh, crabs in a bucket, ne- you don't have to put a lid on it because they'll never get out because they're always pulling one another down. And so they can't escape because instead of helping one another to get out of the bucket, they pull each other and keep one another in that bucket. Now, here's here's what I want you to understand from those illustrations. You can either be a goose or you can be a crab. You can be a goose that encourages and lifts other people and moves together in rhythm in your church, or you can be an old crab that pulls others down and criticizes and is negative and, and gripes about the music and the preacher and, and uh, whatever else there might be. I'll tell you from a pastor's perspective, give me a flock of geese anytime over a bucket of crabs. I'd rather have geese than crabs any day because geese keep a rhythm and geese encourage one another and geese help one another. Crabs just pull one another down and they, they don't do any good for one another and they end up perishing because they all they do is pull one another down be a goose don't be a crab all right that's the that's the the uh the thing to remember from this message i appreciate you listening today to the radio program as well as the podcast i look forward to being with you again next sunday till then this is pastor tim reynolds saying may god bless you as my prayer You've been listening to the Bible Truth Podcast with your host pastors, Tim and Ron Reynolds. They can be contacted on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple Facebook page, or you may send Pastor Tim an email to T-I-M-R-E-Y-1 at hotmail.com. Or if you prefer, mail correspondence to Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Again, that's Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois 62864. Thank you for listening.